0: We've been discussing all sorts of topics around relationships to make our relationships thrive. And uh, today we have the glorious privilege of talking about sex. If you want to leave right now, it's your cue. We're going to be addressing this topic from a biblical perspective because I really believe that the one who has designed it needs to get to define it for us. And I don't know about you, but we have been uh, allowing pop culture and all of that to help us understand, you know, what sexual intimacy is, how to get it, and... um, it has led us down an extremely destructive path. And so hopefully today we can start seeing some of God's heart, but also start God's ways, God's ideas about sex and sexuality um, that will bring health back, okay? It's time to bring health back to our marriages. It's time to bring health back to our relationships, and so, um, if today is a little <laughs> in your face, I apologize <laughs> on the front end because I know this is a church, right? <laughs> Yet we're gonna go there today, and uh, I tell you what, nobody here's more scared than me. So, um, <laughs> um, y'all, y'all support me today, okay? Um, you know, if you've done it before, just say amen. If I say, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Okay, we're going to get that out of the way. Romans 12, verse 2. Okay, let's get some scripture into it. It says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good. God's will for you is pleasing, and God's will for you is perfect. Um, by the way, if you don't want whoever's sitting next to you to be hearing this, now's the time to bring them to Natalie in the Quest Room where she'll be looking after them. Um, but if they're good, I'm good. You're good. We're all good. We're going to go for it. Um, I'll be sharing after this uh, sermon on our Facebook groups and all that. So if you're not on there, go and like our Facebook page or uh, and, and ask to be included in our in our um, uh, Crowley. Uh, OSC Crowley eFam, a Facebook group, because we share different information on, on, on both of those at times. Because um, I'm gonna be sharing some resources with you about just having the talk, you know, how to have the talk, when to have the talk, but what age should you be really actually introducing your children to sexuality and having the talk about sex, et cetera, so that you'll know how to do that um, as, a, as, a, as a parent. Um, even if you, if you, if you miss kind of the first part of that, how to catch up with that. And then what I'm also gonna share is a, is a, is a, is a website about marriage. Um, so often it's so difficult to find healthy information about sex and marriage um, that uh, online, especially online, that, that this website really is a place for Christians to go and ask questions about sex and mar- inside marriage, etc. And then make sure that we got that, um, we got that squared away for you guys so you can go learn more about what, what, what that is and what, what it's about. So with that said, just a little joke to start us off. A little girl comes to her grandma and says, Grandma, how old are you? Well, grandma answers, My sweetie, you never ask a lady how old she is. The girl says, Well, I know that you're 71. And grandma says, Oh, really? Now, how do you know that? So, Well, I looked at your purse and I found your driver's license. And I saw that you were born in 1950. And girl says, like, Well, there you go. She says, Grandma, you want to know what else I saw? Grandma says, What did you see? She said. I saw you scored an F for sex. <laughs> All right, I think our society is probably right now scoring an F for sex um, because the way that it is portraying it to us is completely at odds with God's word for it. And uh, we want to shine some light, bring some truth to that today. But let me just give you a, a little <laughs> snapshot of what society uh, has offered us. Um, you can basically change the word sex everywhere out there with the word lust or just the word intercourse because it really isn't sex anymore as uh, according to what God uh, intended for it to be. We're gonna try and redeem that today. And then um, uh, statistics say that by the time kids, uh, uh, by the time a girl goes through high school, 50% of them would have, well actually kids go through high school, 50% of them will have had sexual interaction. Um, before they even left high school. One in five teenage girls report that they have semi-nude photos of themselves floating around online. Think of, the, think of that, that is just, I mean, this is teenage girls, right? 91% of sexual scenes you see in movies are not between people that are married. 91%, talk about an example that's being modeled to us about sex. In the U.S., pornography revenues are $13 billion in total. Thirteen billion, that's nine zeros. More than all the revenues of professional football, basketball, and baseball combined annually. Think about that. (laughs) That's a massive industry. It has become the worst sickness of all time. All this is because we have rejected God's ideas Concerning sex, and it has caused absolute destruction to our societies. Satan has been our sex ed teacher, and the Bible says in John 8, verse 34, that when he speaks, he lies. When he opens his mouth, what comes out are lies because he's the father of lies, and his nature does not produce any truth. In fact, even if he quotes you a truth from scripture, you have to just remember that it's going to be laced with some arson. There's going to be some untruth, some poison in there that's going to lead you astray, even if it sounds true at first glance. That's how he tricked Adam and Eve. That's how he tried to trick Jesus when Jesus was in the wilderness. He used truth but bent it slightly. Half a truth is more dangerous than a blatant lie. Satan has been spreading lies about, um, about sex For decades and it has completely wreaked havoc in our society. Let me share with you some of the things that are are happening in our society because there is such an unhealthy perspective and the unhealthy ideas of sex are so prevalent. People, rape has become so prevalent that more than 18 million women have been victims of rape since 2000. Today, 13% of people who go through a rape experience or a sexual abuse experience attempt suicide as a result of that. Listen to this, 56% of divorce cases involved one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic, pornographic websites. And let me say, this is the, the, the information here comes from <clears throat> a liberal uh, source, which <laughs> basically does not necessarily believe that just purely watching porn now and then is wrong. This statistic is, is actually from people where, I mean, somebody is obsessive about it. Right? It doesn't even include all the others where porn is, is being used in some or another weird way. Um, the cost of rape in our society, how much it costs to, to, you know, to treat, to help, to counsel, to whatever, all the uh, rape victims cost the US $127 billion across all disciplines of treatment and, um, and help. And this is excluding child sexual abuse. This is just adult sexual encounters. This is, this is crazy. Listen to this one. If you're, interact, if you're busy doing, you know, if you're um, engaging in casual sex, you have a 50% chance of having more depressed thoughts, be more suicidal, and have increased alcohol and drug use to the point of unhealth. Well, obviously, drug use is from the start, but alcohol um, moderately taken is different, but if you're engaging in casual sex, you have a half chance, that's 50% chance, of becoming depressed and suicidal, and, over, and, and, and completely overusing in, 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 in substances. 46% um, of people who are, are, are um, in some form or way, uh, alternative sexual, um, orientation report being, having been raped in their lifetime. The impact that sexual wrong sexual ideas is having on us is just crazy. The confusion it's creating is, is, is rampant. It says here that, uh, um, okay, that's all, that's all it is. That's all I wanna share for now. We looked at a survey amongst our own people and we, um, not all of you filled it in, about 50% of us filled it in. But um, amongst our singles, uh, we asked, how would you rate your sexual purity? And uh, uh, I'll say this, 52% rated sexual purity being poor. In other words, that it's not as pure as, as they know it, it ought to be. Among married people who asked this question, how would you rate your sexual life? And uh, 48% said poor. All of these little factors play into unhealthy relationships and play into a society that is ending up being destroyed just because of the simple thing of sexuality, let alone all the other things that we're having to deal with in life. John 8.32 declares this over us, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I wanna say this to you, no matter what you've done in your past, no matter how, like, like, like Ryan ministered in the beginning, I wanna echo that, that God's truth will set you free if you know God's truth. Knowing truth is not merely cognitively agreeing with it. Knowing truth actually means that I'm aligning my activities, my, my lifestyle with it. That's what it means to know truth. Biblically, knowing means doing. It did not mean understanding. Philosophically, according to the Greek education system, knowledge just meant gnosis, understanding. But biblically, according to the culture that this was written in, knowledge meant I was doing it. If I knew it, it's because I was doing it. That's where knowledge came from. It came from action, it came from participation. Right. and so we're gonna talk a little bit later about Adam knowing his wife. That was participation. You know, he did not know his wife, and then she fell pregnant. Okay, so knowing truth means that I'm actually living truth. That's what knowing truth means. That knowledge, knowing truth like that, is what sets you free. Not understanding it, living it. And uh, I want to say this to you: that if you will, even no matter where you what you've done, God's grace can restore. But it does take a act. It does take a real. Like decision from your side to to come back to God's original design and align yourself with His word on every matter, including this one. And so that's why it's so important for us to talk about it. Look, look, no, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> it's weird, um, you know, to talk to adults about about sex, but. <laughs> There's so much misinformation out there about sex that where will we get the right information if somebody just doesn't take the plunge and go there? So we're gonna go there today and we're gonna gonna address this matter Um, because God wants us to know what his intent for it was. He wants us to know how his design and what his design for it is um, and how it is done right uh, so that it becomes a blessing to us. You see, truth brings freedom. Freedom brings healing and restoration and that restores our peace and our joy and that's what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. To live in the kingdom of God means not a lot of eating and drinking. It's not do's and don'ts. It's actually living you know, in righteousness, understanding my identity, who I am in Christ, and from there, living in the peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says in Romans 8. So the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, right and wrong, all those things, regulations. It's about righteousness. It's about peace, and it's about joy. But you can't get to righteousness, peace, and joy if you do not actually obey what scriptures say. God is not a killjoy. He just wants to kill what steals your joy. If you follow along with his pattern, it will lead to the most peace-filled, most joy-filled life, relationships, etc. Okay, um, so I really believe that today's message, even if you have had you know difficulty in this, even if you've had failure in this, is giving you the first steps to how to, correct that hard. but also for us who have kind of been faithfully you know doing what we felt was right just to come and bring that that, that attaboy that affirmation to say keep going because this is the way God wants it I want to give a little bit of an extra step up for us to look towards today that I really believe is going to enhance our sexual experiences with one another if you're married all right let's get into this first point I want to make is that God says sex is good Okay, sex is good, but here's the trick. Good sex is exclusive. Married men report to have way more satisfaction in their sexual lives than young people who are engaging in casual sex. It's just one reason for that. You get better at it over time you learn how to have better sex over time. And if you do it, if you're having exclusive sex, sex becomes better over time. Proverbs 5 verse 15 says to us that we need to drink water from our own well, share our love only with our wives. It asks, why spill the water off your springs in the streets, having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. And we'll talk about that because some of us might feel like, man, I don't know if my wife is a fountain of blessing for me anymore. It says rejoice in the wife of your youth. That's your part. We're going to get into some of this in a little bit. Let me just say this. Sex is not X-rated. It's not supposed to be X-rated. We've made sex X-rated because we've made it dirty. God says sex is good, but it is God-rated. In other words, He places and defines, he places definition on it. He requ- requires us to come into alignment with his idea for it. And as we do that, we start experiencing, I can't start experiencing the goodness of sex in our, in our marriages, in our, in our lives. Even if we're not married yet, we can start preparing for that in a sense. Now, listen to this. God made sex good because that's part of his design. Think about this. God created Adam, right? Gave him work to do. Adam got busy naming animals, tending to the garden, and then God realized, look, this is not good for him to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. What do you think that means? You think about the fact that Adam was naming the animals, and as he was naming the animals, he obviously started seeing, all right, good, there's a male and there's a female, there's a male and there's a female, and boom. Well, well, what about me? There is a male, and then there's a nothing. And Bible says no suitable helper was found for Adam. And God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a suitable helper. What does that mean? That means that God made them compatible physically. Because when Adam saw Eve, why do you think he went like, ah, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. This is something I can work with. You don't think that was why he said that? Adam was obviously looking at matters from all perspectives. And he was realizing, (laughs) it's not going to work over there. It's not going to work over there. They're already hooked up. They're already hooked up. I'm the only one left alone. And when God hooked him up, he was excited, y'all. Because he knew God said, look, I'm not just putting you here for work. I'm putting you here to multiply. To multiply and subdue the earth. In other words, make more of you so that there will be more to keep tending and cultivating the garden so that the garden will spread beyond this area. If it's just you, you're going to die if you try to subdue the earth. God had all this in mind right from the start. That's the way he designed it. That's the way he planned it. And the creation story gives us a beautiful depiction of how this Bible says that they were naked and they were not ashamed of each other. There was beauty and holiness and purity around man's design, woman's design. And you know what? The design was for the purpose of multiplication. So I want to say it straight off the bat. Any sex that does not is not conducive to the to the purpose of multiplication. Why? God wants sex to be something that falls into his plan. If he created it, it has a purpose in his grand plan. And so us heeding to his plan for it, it's us coming in alignment with his will. It's us saying, let your kingdom come. I know it sounds weird to make sex sound spiritual, but listen, it is as spiritual as praying. I'm not trying to be weird. I'm just saying that to God, nothing is spiritual, natural, emotional. It's the same. Everything's the same for Him. He created it all, and everything is good to Him. When we take it out of His design, that's when it becomes perverted. And it starts getting a different purpose. A purpose of self-pleasure. A purpose of rebellion against what God has said. Now, don't get me wrong, not, I'm not saying that you know, the, the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eve was sex. No. There's nothing further from the truth. Why would God say multiply and then say, hey, by the way, you're not allowed to do it? That has nothing to do with the whole story. God wanted man and woman to have sex. He wanted them to be excited about it. And Adam was excited about it. And the Bible says that they did have sex and it brought forth children. It's beautiful. That's how God designed it to be. And um, the problem is that when we take it outside of the context that God intended it for, that it becomes destructive because as we'll see in a minute, sex has that ability to destroy, but it also has that ability to build. And that's what we wanna wanna tap into. Um, We looked at (laughs) the survey and then we asked, how often do you have sex? Some said one to three times a week. Some said a couple of weeks, every couple of weeks. Uh, about 7% said once a month, and 13% said I couldn't tell you the last time. That tells me that almost 50% of us in our marriages, um, we're not having a healthy sexual, ex- sexual life. Because God meant for sex to be something that brings us together. Therefore, you know, if I build a relationship with you but I talk to you every other year, you think our relationship's going to go anywhere? Having sex is part of God's design to bring intimacy into a relationship. And that's why it needs to be frequent. It needs to have have a regularity, an an expectation of regularity to it. Because that's what God wants and desires for us, right? And so we need this talk. Because there are so many of us that are struggling in this area. Um, 54% of us said that, uh, is your sex life what you'd like it to be? Said no, it's not. So how do we view sex so that we can understand that, hey, it's not something that's taboo. It's not something that, you know, happens every, you know, once in a while, just you know, on special occasions. Because really, you know, it's not that great a thing. Listen, sex is good. The Bible declares it good, and we need to do it often with our spouses. Because the, the purpose of it is to procreate and is to create intimacy. Some said reasons for why they're not having enough sex is um, there's just no connection left anymore. Others said, man, it's just work and stress. You know, I'm just busy and work takes me away. And, um, and, and I understand there are, there are challenges to that. But all of this just gives us more reason to think God's thoughts about sex. Because if we don't, sex will end up being a destructive force in our lives. God wants you to have sex and he wants you to have great sex. He even committed a whole book in the Bible to romance. It's called the Song of Solomon's. Many of us just avoid it, why? Because we think sex is dirty. And so we don't wanna read Song of, Solomons, Song of Solomon's. Listen, if you're a husband to a wife, a wife to a husband, go read that book and pick up that flame. Start that flame back up. See how it talks to his, his lover. See how and what they do for their lover. And start realizing that hey, I need to keep romancing my wife if I want to continue to create intimacy with my wife. We shouldn't actually become less and less sexually intimate as time goes on. We should maintain that flame. We should maintain that pursuit of each other. And I understand sometimes there there are challenges, there are difficulties, but there's things that need to be overcome and worked around. They're not things that need to be used as an excuse to say, all right, all, right, "All right, we, you know, that's that's part of you know, you know, that's 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 young people stuff." No, no. We need to continue pursuing one another romantically and intimately until the day we die. Sex is a blessing if it's inside of the marriage, but if it's outside, it becomes a destructive force. And you know what? Sometimes we have. People that are in marriages, they never have sex, but their sexual desires have left the marriage. And God wants you to bring your sexual desires back into the marriage as well because there's no way for you to have a great sex life if you do not have your desires also committed and focused on the same individual. The Bible says, Adam knew his wife and she became pregnant. Let me tell this to you. Sex is meant to develop a deep, intimate knowledge between two people. It's meant to be a reveal all in the most delicate and vulnerable way, yet then to be received and totally loved and be made feel safe. This is why there is a right and a wrong context for sex. We asked our singles, do you believe premarital sex is a sin or sex outside of marriage is a sin? 45% yes, and they've made a commitment to wait until their marriage. 49 says, yeah, I think it's a sin, but I'm gonna remain sexually active regardless. Only 6% says it is a sin. This is not healthy, y'all. This is taking sex outside of its context and it's gonna create havoc. And I'm gonna explain more how that happens as we go on. But let me start off by saying this, you don't build a life of righteousness in the future on a pattern of sin right now. Don't expect your marriage or your relationship to, 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 to turn Christ-centered one day if it's not Christ-centered now. You're right, right now, if you're single or if you're in a relationship that's not married yet, you're laying foundation for how your marriage is gonna become one day, how your eventual marriage will become one day. And if you don't accept God's pattern, you're going to have to deal with the consequences of destruction that that's going to lead to. God made sex good, but good sex is exclusive. And if you're not married yet, then it needs to be super exclusive for one day when you are married, when you get married. Only then will you experience this type of Amazing intimacy that God intended sex to produce in a relationship. Because sex needs to be more than just a physical act. And I'll talk about that in the second point that says God wants us to have powerful sex. Because sex has power. Sex has power to build, to construct, to heal. But it also has the power to destroy and to disappoint and it depends on how you, what you believe about it, how you will, how you will, um, you know, what the outcome of it will be for you. Because here's the point: powerful sex is pure. Powerful sex comes from a heart of purity, and a heart of purity is driven by love, not lust. Remember the first talk we had in this series was, what is love? And we said that there's a difference between being infatuated with somebody and actually loving somebody. We talked that love is selfless, but lust is all about me. Let me tell you, there are more people that want sex because of their own desires than want sex because of their partner's desire. want sex because they want to serve and love and create a space of intimacy for their partners. God, you can even be and have committed to having sex inside marriage and never want to have sex outside your marriage and still miss God's ideal sexual intimate place. Because God wanted sex to be more than just an act that satisfies you. God uh, God wanted sex to be something that brings us together and creates intimacy, vulnerability, and security for one another. How do we do that? First Thessalonians says the following, it says, it starts with a commitment, God, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual morality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in the passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. For God did not call us to be impure, but he called us to live a holy life. It starts with you wanting to honor God through your sexual activities, through your sexuality. God doesn't mind that you have a sex drive. That's, he created you with that. He just doesn't like your desire of sex to drive you. He wants to be the leader of your life. He wants to be the guide. And so often we let our sexual desires take the forefront and we let that lead us. And it makes us bend all sorts of rules. Why? Because we want what we want and we want it now. But that is the pathway to destruction, let me tell you. And I'll tell you why now, because powerful sex is pure. Listen, Satan wants you to believe that you can take something that God designed, but do it and, and use it in the way that you want it to, to use it. It's like buying a chainsaw at Lowe's and then thinking, you know, that you can use that chainsaw any which way you want. No wonder people cut their legs off. It was designed by God and therefore it has a way that it works and it works right and it creates the thing that God wanted it to create in our lives. It achieves the goal for which God put it there in the first place. If you do it any other way, it brings destruction. And the biggest lie that Satan sells us is that you can do it your way. You can have what you want now and it'll be okay. See, sin maximizes the desire, Satan, and the temptation maximizes that desire, but it minimizes the destruction, it minimizes the after effects. So we say to ourselves, man, I'm only, you know, we're only kissing, we're only texting, you know, we're only, you know, touching. (laughs) Bruh, it's like a gateway drug. Once you're in it, it takes you to all the other ones. You have to just say no to it and stay pure and commit to purity of heart because that is what creates the power in sex to build a relationship into that place of intimacy that God intended for it to achieve. John Piper says this, lust gets its power by persuading me to believe that I am more happy to follow it. The power of all temptation is the prospect that it'll make me happier. But how often do we not see the exact opposite? You say yes to it, and then craziness follows. And then you realize, oh my goodness, I've been duped. sex is not about you getting satisfied. It's about you actually loving the person you're having sex with. It's about you giving to that person something that is special and something that communicates that you are not holding back you from them. You're serving them, caring for, your, for them, and the end result of that is intimate, deeply passionately satisfying, and emotionally connected intimacy. I don't know how many of you have emotional intimacy with your spouse, but if you have not, it's maybe because you're doing sex wrong. Maybe you're just having sex because you have a desire and you need to get a release. Listen, if you do sex that way, it's never gonna achieve God's intention for your marriage. God really wants this to be a blessing to you, but if you do it your way and if you kinda just go, you know, what society's way is, Most often, 95% of the time, if you do it society's way, it's going to be self serving. It's about me, my dreams, my lustful desires that I want satisfied. And so often we find ourselves in situations where there's a conflict around the area of sex. Why? Because my spouse isn't really with me. Like they think they can treat me like, you know, all their fantasies. Well, I might not like that. So what now then? Well, then you're not satisfied. No, no, you're not loving the other person. Because if you loved them for who they were, your sex with them would not be for you, it'll be for us. Pure sex is not about me, it's about us. And both of us being passionately satisfied, both of us being uh, intimately connected. You can't get that if it's just about you. In fact, I'll go as far as saying, if lust is the reason why you want sex with with your spouse, you will never be able to be to, to, to really love them honestly. It has to come from a place of selflessness. I am, I am laying my life, I'm giving myself to you. I'm not just getting a cheap thrill. I'm actually giving myself to you in this. I want to connect with you. And that's why some people would just like to say, well, you know what, my wife just checks out during sex. Well, are you even there? Are you having sex with her, or are you having sex with someone in your mind while you're there? No wonder she checks out. Come on now. God wants you to have sex with the person that you're in bed with, not somebody else while you're there. And if you do that, you'll have amazing sex. There'll be connection, there'll be emotional passion, And and there'll be the best sex that you can imagine. For sex to be powerful, it has to be, for good, it has to be exclusive. And for it to be powerful, it has to be pure. It has to be driven by love, not lust. We think lust is the way we get our desires fulfilled. It's not. Lust is a cheap thrill. It is an empty container. It's it's an unfulfilled promise. That's all it is. And it leaves you disappointed at the end of the day. And here's why it leaves you disappointed. The third point i make making is that sex is a demonstration of a covenant. Sex is a demonstration of oneness. The Bible says in Mark 10, 8, 9, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Oneness, united. This is covenant talk. This isn't connection. This isn't passion. This isn't contract. This is covenant Your sexual activity is a demonstration of something that has happened, that God has done, a oneness that has been created between you and your spouse. That is what it's a demonstration of, right? Because with with a sexual act comes all the expectation and all the promise and fulfillment of the intimacy, the security, the commitment, the vulnerability, um, and the affirmation, the acceptance, That God creates between a husband and a wife when they have been unified in marriage. Sex is a demonstration of that. Sex is a reminder of that. It's like, I am one with you, nobody else. Now, here's the problem. If you have sex with somebody else, what you're doing is you're giving them an empty promise. You're telling them, I'm one with you. You've never been united with them. You don't have any intention of being united with them. But even if you do, you aren't currently united with them, which means God hasn't blessed that. And that's a huge thing for us. That's what breaks people's hearts. And what we learn from this is that you can't put a condom around your heart because sex is supposed to mean something and it's more than just, I love you, baby. Sex is supposed to mean that I am yours forever. That's what sex is supposed to mean. It's a demonstration of oneness that God has made happen between a husband and wife that has promised to be faithful to one another for the rest of eternity. And if you cannot make that promise for that person, then you're not ready to have sex with them. God meant for sex to be like a, a joining together from the marriage to be a joining together spirit, soul, and body. And, and if you just do the one, it's like creating an expectation and then dropping that person flat on the ground. No wonder our hearts are a wreck. No wonder our minds are so confused. I thought we had it on. And then they just turn around and go have sex with another person. Or they just go like, I'm not, I don't want this anymore leave you devastated because you've taken it out of the context of covenant. Sex is meant to be a demonstration of oneness that was made by God's design and God's will. Listen to what Mark 10 says further. The two are no longer one and since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined. Listen to this. God joins us. You having sex with someone doesn't join you. It actually lies to that person. It creates an expectation that goes unmet. And the problem is, if you have all sorts of, you know, extramarital engagements, even before marriage or part of marriage, what you're doing is you're wreaking havoc everywhere you go. Because what you're telling people is, I'm here for you. I am yours. And then you're not. And that breaks people. They open themselves up. They make themselves vulnerable. They give themselves to you. And then you to them. And I wonder we're just emotionally a wreck. Our society is a wreck. So many people are not antidepressants. So many people aren't, why? Because we have all just been so disappointed at life. And 90% of it is because of relationships. The way we start healing is by accepting that God intended sex to be good, but that we leave it in a place of exclusivity. That's how we start healing. The way we start healing is to realize that sex is powerful, it can build, it can create such beauty in a, in a, in a marriage, but it needs to be pure. It needs to be from a place of love, not lust. It's not about me, it's about us. And second, realize that God has to join us together and make a covenant between us first. Before I am in a place where I am safe to give me to you. So you can keep walking around with unmet expectations from more and more and more people and they of you and it just can keep on driving us insane. Or you can today decide to, to stop following all these Wicked ideas about sex, sexuality, and sexual intimacy and return to God's way and God's design that will lead to life, freedom, joy, fulfillment, passion. Great sex. Great marriages. Great lives. We have to commit to this. We have to make a decision that I am going to follow God's guideline. Because out of that comes the best possible situation for me. How do I do that? How do I commit to good, powerful, pure, and exclusive sex? That is a demonstration of one as well. First of all, I need to turn from everything the Bible calls sin, especially sexual immorality. I need to choose to follow Jesus, follow His word in this area of my life, my sexuality. And second, I need to commit to walk with others. Listen to 2 Timothy 2:22. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace, and enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure heart. We were created from community for community. Sometimes we just need to we just need to le- learn that that God is a community, and that He doesn't walk us, want us to walk outside of community. He designed us for community. You know what? Some of us need to accept this and make some some steps toward coming clean about some of the things that we've been doing. Let me say this to you. If you're stuck in porn or you frequently visit porn websites, that'll wreak havoc on your sexual intimacy, it'll be a constant challenge to it. Get out of that. Do anything you have to do to get off of it, get out of it. If sex has become for you about satisfying your desires, you need to start seriously thinking about, about listening to these words. And learn what the Bible says, control your body, Learn how to do that. Run from everything that stimulates youthful lusts. Run from it. Don't try and fight it. Don't try and beat it. Run from it. Just get it out of your life. Don't try and use it in moderation. There's no such thing in this regard. You get it out. Go away from it. Move in a different direction. Seek out the companionship of those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Find a group of people that can help you that can help you walk pure. here. And if you have done anything that you shouldn't have, well, it's time to come to Jesus. Some of you need to do what James 5.16 said. You need to admit your sin to one another so that you can receive prayer, so that you can receive healing. The truth of God's Word may be reestablished in your life and your relationships might be healed and your relationship might be set on the right course to move and develop toward what God wants it to develop. If you do this, God's, like Pat, God's um, product can be produced in your life. If you don't, your response will determine your destiny. I want us to stand and pray today. Let's pray. Let, let's stand together. I want to pray a prayer for us. and This is a prayer that leads you in making a commitment toward this. I'm going to read it and pray it and I want you to pray it in your heart of hearts and set your life on a course today. Some of you are going to have to have conversations. Some of you have been having sex that's been lust-driven. You know what? Often that just results in you know, a cheap orgasm that carries no meaning, that has no love and emotions to it, and most often just for the man. It's time to have some conversations about what all your expectations are as a couple for this beautiful, important aspect of life. So let's pray. God, I don't know how to do this on my own. So I want to submit my sexuality to you, Lord. I may have done things and said things and experienced things that I know were outside of your will for me. And today I'm asking you to just take all that right now and take ownership of this aspect of my life. I want to live a life of value, Lord, that's centered around your love for me, not my desire for temporary fulfillment Lord I'm asking you to today reset my priorities to purity and to your ideas about sex refocus my thoughts Lord on faithfulness renew my mind with your identity for me and I ask that you rebuild my self worth until I truly believe I am your masterpiece I've been restored I have been set free from my past and I have been made whole By your blood, I pray that you restore all the broken pieces inside of me and make me new. Lord, I give you permission to uproot all the damaged areas of my heart. All the rejection, Lord. Come and take it away, Father. All the disappointment, the unmet expectations. I give that to you right now, Lord all the shame and the guilt that came from my bad decisions, but also maybe from things that were done to me. Father, I just submit that to you because I know you want me to be free and that you have washed me clean. Lord, I submit my mind to you today, that you heal my perspective in this regard and that from this day forward, I might pursue my sexuality with purity with patience, and with excitement, Lord, for what you will produce in and through me, through my my spouse and my relationship. Lord, I surrender my sexuality to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we really need your help, Lord. We really need your help, Father. So such an important part of your, your design and, and, and your mandate on us as humanity, Father, and we've messed it up so badly. Lord, I pray that we might, as couples, become more deeply and intimately acquainted with each other. Father, that, that we will pursue one another with selfless thoughts of romance, selfless thoughts of service self selfless thoughts of passion and that we might seek to satisfy our spouses father if we're single that we might make a commitment to one day satisfy our spouse by now withholding and 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 protecting and making what i have exclusive to them one day Most of all, Lord, I pray that in this (laughs) this difficult area, that you'll help us to just trust that your way is the best way, Father. We talk about this so infrequently, and it's it's such a big deal to talk about these things. And yet, Lord, we we know how important this aspect of relationship is to you. So we want to come and just honor you in our relationships and in our sexuality. We give this all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.